Hi, I'm Mikey, and welcome back to another episode of Everything Aviation Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to get out into the world. There are lots of jobs in aviation. We talk to everybody from pilots to cabin crew to engineers and everyone else in between. On this week's episode, we have Jules Blasi. Jules is a DA-40 pilot and a cabin manager with a very well-known airline. Jules tells us her story and her battles with COVID-19 in the aviation industry and her goals. Morning, Jules. How are we? I'm great, Mikey. How are you this morning? Yeah, not bad. No, I'm looking at Storm Ellen or Eva or whatever it's called here out the windows, blown the gales. No flying today, so I'm sat on the ground instead, which is a pain, but hey-ho. I know, I know. It's very windy. I woke up with the blinds, you know, shaking and making noise this morning at six. Very cloudy as well, but you know what? Well, let's see. Tomorrow should be a good week ahead, so hopefully we'll be able to, to meet and I will be able to come and visit you at the airfield and hopefully renew my SCP or maybe even the multi-engine piston. Who knows? Who knows? We, 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 we can try and get that sorted for you. So just, just a quick introduction for, for people listening to, to, to Jules's. Jules is a DA-40 pilot and she's also a cabin manager with a very well-known airline. There's been a lot of aviation in Jules' blood. Now I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, just going to let Jules explain it because she, she's the one who's done it. So, Jules, how did you get into aviation? What? Uh, no, you know, I had... It's a, very, it's a pretty long story. I tried to make it short, but I remember flying... Going with my dad when I was 10 to America on a very long 15-day trip to America and flying from Italy to Rome, from Rome to New York, from New York to San Francisco, no, to Las Vegas, Las Vegas to San Fran, San Fran to LA, and LA back to Rome, all in 15 days. And I remember visiting the cockpit of the 747, of us Alitalia 747. I'm Italian, so that's why it was Alitalia. And I remember looking at everything, and the pilots and the cabin crew, and thinking, oh my God, this is really cool. And, you know, I'd like to do this one day. You know, I was 10. I was still, I was daydreaming about it for, for years and years. But then life took a different, um, it got on a different path, I guess. So I went to university and studied philosophy. And I always thought, back of my mind, I really, I really want to, I really want to fly one day, whether it's cabin crew or as a pilot. But I never thought I would become a pilot at the beginning because I always had problems with maths and physics at high school. And, you know, as you grow up, you're always told to believe, or you, you, you let to believe that pilots are super geniuses in maths and physics, which is not always, it's, it's true partly, but I was thinking, no, maybe not, not as a pilot. But So when I graduated um, in philosophy, I then moved down to London, and I applied for jobs within um, the airline industry's cabin crew. And then I had two job offers, um, one with a, um, a very a major airline that does long haul, um, and the other one with a very uh, famous low-cost airline. And um, I joined the low-cost airline for years and years, and that's where that's where I started um, just thinking, this is what this is me, you know, this is in my blood. And one day I was given a. Um, uh, PA, uh, I can't even remember, Mikey, whether it was a PA-28 or it was with the British Airways Flying Club in High Wycombe, which sadly does not exist anymore. I was given a trial flying lesson um, for an hour, you know, a gift voucher for my birthday. And yeah. I, I went and that's it. I was a member of 
uh, um, another flying club about a week after starting my PPL. That was it. Brilliant. That flying lesson, that gift, voucher for an hour. I truly cannot remember what aircraft it was. That's how bad my memory is nowadays. It opened up everything. And then I then started training in the UK. I moved back to Italy because I had a transfer with um, the airline I was working with. So then I joined the flight school where I did all my single engine and multi-engine piston training. And I rejoined the school as a ground instructor as well. And I was also doing uh, ICO English level exams. And then, as you rightly said, when you introduced me, I'm now a cabin manager for um, a big, big airline. That That's brilliant. I, it, it's yeah. You can tell aviation is, is definitely there for, for you, Jules, and you've been bitten by the bug. Funny you should yeah. mention the... Um, BA Flying Club. I know the club's been disbanded, but the aircraft, uh, I've seen them in 2017. I'm not sure if they're still in the BA colours now, but back in 2017 they were. And as far as I'm aware, when uh, the centenary year of BA happened, um, there was one painted like um, the the uh, PJ, the special edition land, the Landor and stuff. There. So it was, it was quite quite a fleet to, to have a look at, which is quite cool to say that you've flown one of them. I'm, I'm very jealous of. They had the... the he had the BA livery. So, you know, the baby bus uh, with the Union Jack, that's what it had. And it had the BA logo. And I will never forget going going in it and the pilot actually saying, off you go, off you take off. And I thought, oh, are you sure? And I, hadn't, I had no knowledge back then, Mikey. I had no knowledge of how do I need, at what speed do I need to do, do I need to pull the, the control um, the, the, it wasn't even the column. I'm so used to DA14 now. When do I need to go and just do it? And but don't do it too much because otherwise you're going to stall and it's not going to happen. And it happened. And that opened up uh, an, a universe in front of me. And that universe is now in in our blood. It really is. It, it's it's funny you should say like it, it opened something up in you because I'm a firm believer of a saying at the moment which is a mile of road will take you a mile where a mile of runway can take you anywhere and I think it's it's very very true and like like yourself you're sat there behind the controls of this PA28 and an instructor telling you to, to take it away and it's it's amazing for an instructor like that because they have no idea what kind of door they're unlocking that or what what path it's going to lead to and. But, exactly. but you you could end up sitting at the controls of uh, at the time that a seven four seven or something just from that one lesson that he's after giving you. And it's that is so true, and that I guess was my was my dream. I mean, my dream was this triple seven to become a, a pilot on the triple seven. But um, they open up, yeah. They 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 help people to realise the dream because that's to this day what it is for me and we're talking about this uh this happened a good 12 years ago mikey so a long time ago so i think 13 years even now um but still to this day i have the same butterflies in the stomach and goosebumps when i go and fly it's like day one and it, every time it feels like is this the first time i'm doing this but it's not because i do have quite a few hours in my logbook not many not you know a huge amount but i've done things i've done i've flown to places i've flown to i've done a lot of you know takeoffs and landings and different airfields but it's still like day one it really is brilliant brilliant to hear jules because i get that kind of as well i get that butter feeling and that kind of knot in my stomach of excitement and adventure and everything that, that yeah. that's going on but yes like you said you say it's on the first day it, 
couple of hundred hours in and there's that kind of knowledge sat in your head along with this knot and everything like that that you know what to do uh, when you push that throttle to the firewall and, and the, the power opens up and next thing you know you're climbing above the threshold at 150, 200 feet and the world is now your oyster. It is, it is. And I still think, you know, if I look at the logbook, I've still got the paper version, like very old fashioned and vintage. Um, I refuse to have things. I, I don't know, even when the whole Jefferson chart changed and went on the iPad and, you know, I thought, oh God, okay, I'll, I'll adapt because nowadays technology and everything, all the papers, you know, all the maps, the VFR, everything, you know. It's all on the iPad, but um, I've still got the paper version, the Black Jefferson book, um, logbook. And I look at it and I look at my name and I look at that 31st of January and I go, pilot in command. <laughs> and then the name started, the name went from my instructor's name to mine. And I was like, I still look at it, Mike, and think, yeah, is that really me? That's how, that's still how flying is for me after 13 years plus. And it's great. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Because I know, like you're saying, you look at the name and you think, Jesus, is, is that actually me? And on my one, I've just, it's, oh, I would say it's about halfway down a page and it's just pilot under training, pilot under training, pilot under training, pilot under training, self pilot under training. And it's just, it stands out because everything else is PUT and all of a sudden there's just this self on the 17th of July 2012, I think it was. Um, Okay. And it was yeah, it was just just mad just to see. Oh, I've 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 flown that airplane. It um can can you describe to us what you were feeling on your first solo? Wow! Oh my God! That what a wonderful question. I love going back to that day. It was right the the thirty first of January two thousand and eleven, and I was at my um airfield, my local airfield as I call it in in Rome called um. Well, it's Lima, India, Romeo, Uniform, Urbe. Um, and I remember I, all my schoolmates, all my course mates were um, allowed to fly solo at around 12 to 13 hours of flying. And I was a bit above more than that. I think I was around 16. Because I did have a few um, things that I really wanted to to, to, to be able to, to, to do before going on my own. Of course, that's what instructors you know my instructor used to say i wanted to be very or fairly confident with things like unusual attitude recovery and stall recovery and all that so i just went i remember that morning i wasn't expecting it at all because they didn't tell me they never told anybody it was just a surprise for you so i went up 31st of january nine o'clock in the morning calm wind was calm weather was good cold morning but very good and my instructor came up I said let's go and do about you know an hour of touch and goes okay off we go so off I go number one number two number three and then at some point he says okay I'm gonna talk with the tower and I remember we were downwind to land uh for runway three four and he goes okay it's gonna be a full stop and then I'm getting off and she's going on her own and I went I went no, 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 hold on a second. I turned, I, 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 do you know what? I went, I looked at him, I turned to him and I went, I, I, I couldn't even speak, Mike. You see, I can't speak now. <laughs> Remembering it, remember that moment. And I had to look at the, I had to look at the, at the visual references to turn onto base and then final. So I couldn't really lose my concentration then. Um, 
I went, are you for real? Yes. And then, okay, okay. And then I just switched off and off white land. So taxi back to the, um, to the hangar to allow him to get off. And I went and I just did everything. And then I remember that I started thinking, what am I doing when I lined up? And he said, the tower went, line up and wait. And I could see the runway and I turned to the right and there was an empty seat next to me. So I looked up and I went, I will, I went out, what am I going to do now? And I was talking to myself and I was thinking, I need to do two things. I can do two things now. I can either go and do what I've done so far and I can do this or I can just, you know, not concentrate on something bad is going to happen. And I went, I'm going to go for the first option, okay? So I did all my pre-takeoff checks. Off I go. I remember the right leg was shaking like a leaf. And you had to press, you know, the right to just make sure that you're lined up nicely on the center line to take off. My leg was just shaking like a leaf. And I went, stop, don't move. I was going to move. And off I go, 55 knots. I go, you know, just think. All you do in Italy is a circuit, that's it. You don't do touching, guys. You just take off, go back, uh, circuit for three, four, land, and off you're done. And you know what? It was the most amazing. It was the most, it was perfect. The right. landing was just a manual. It was like perfect. And as soon as I um, went back to the hangar and I opened the canopy, I just burst into tears. I was crying like a baby. I'll never forget it. And I, I thought, did I really do this? Did I really do that? And they went, yeah, it's you. And then I went, okay, and that's it. I, that's what I can remember. But I'm a, it's, it's a shame you can't see me because I've got goosebumps everywhere now just by telling you the story. I, I love it, Jules. Your passion for it is absolutely amazing. And I know exactly how you're feeling because I, uh, I did a few touch and goes. It was quite early, about six in the morning. Really, really smooth. and um. I I remember we 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 landed and the instructor, he didn't really say anything to me. I I noticed that he he said pull up here at the top of the runway, so I did, and um, I remember him grabbing a handheld radio and taking his seatbelt off, and I kind of had an inkling about what was happening, but at the same time, I was like no no get back in here back in here, and uh, he he got on the radio and he he, he I trained at a place called Carnan Aviation in in Northern Ireland, and uh, he got on the radio and he was like well. We um, he said student pilot is is going solo. I'm jumping out. Best of luck. And I was like, oh okay. So he he jumped out, did the seatbelt up, shut the door, and then walked away. And then he did a radio check with me, and I was kind of like still in shock mm-hmm. at the fact that he's not beside me anymore. And um, yeah. I spent five minutes sitting at the top of the runway, uh, looking at the engine instruments, hoping I could find something untoward so I didn't have to go. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I did that too. I forgot to mention that. I was hoping, oh, where's the wind now? Because as a student, you were only able to take off and land or fly with, uh, depending on the, the, the crosswind component, with 10 knots. The, the, the DA20 would be okay, school, uh, proceed, school parameters would be okay with 20 knots crosswind. So I was hoping, like you, Mickey, where's the wind? Where's the weather? Where's the clouds? Why? I don't want to go, but we did it. We did it. And did, don't you think that in that moment, all our concentration, our skills, our patience all came together immediately to us? A hundred percent. And I think the instructors kind of know that that's going to happen because... 
they're they're jumping out and giving you in my case it was a sixty thousand pound airplane to go and play with which was kind of mad i'm sitting there at the age of 17 i can't get insurance on a nissan micra but i'm about to fly this airplane over over the northern irish countryside and i think they kind of have an inkling that when you're ready you're ready and it's the same as you say everything comes together and you take off and everything just kind of sits into place and you're able to deal with anything that's throwing at you because you're you're in that in the bubble as they call it um it's just one of these most amazing feelings ever of looking over to the right hand side like you said and there's no one sat in that seat but there's a a thousand foot drop just to your outside your window and you're the only thing that's in control and it's do you know what it's quite scary but it's one of the most fantastic and amazing things i think you can do Absolutely. It's a unique feeling that I'm sure we have been able to describe it really well. But to actually feel it, it's 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 the best thing. I will never forget that day. We will never, nobody will ever forget that day. No one ever will. Whoever has, you know, been fortunate enough to go on a flying, you know, career or even just going for a solo flight, it's, it's incredible. I, I was thinking of even getting the date tattooed on my skin, just because I, I think it's 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 fantastic. It was a a unique feeling, and I didn't actually. The only thing I really would like to say about that is that I was on my own. Nobody was there because no, none of my friends were there, so nobody gave me, you know, the proper, um, you know, bucket of water on my head. So I just walked off. So I had no celebrations. I had that when I uh, got my PPL, so I didn't have the bucket of water. So when I come and renew my SCP, I'm expecting that to be delayed in time because all I can see is my friends, you know, all oh, the water bucket, you know, or being soaked with a with whatever comes, you know, whatever is found in the hangar. No, that didn't happen. I want I was on my own, but it was good. It was great. It was unique. It was it was a fantastic a fantastic point in my flying career in life i would say as a person i I think it's fantastic character building as well and because you you are taught how to deal under immense pressure at some points and it's quite a high pressure environment as it is and you're able to go out there and perform as you do which obviously stands to you in in your job role at the moment but we we will come back to that so then you you went you did your first solo um and then you went i take it you did all your your cross-country stuff and was all this done in italy it was all done in Italy, yes. Um, we did, um, after that, we had by, well, north of the airfield, we had an area of, um, I can't remember how, very big area of sectors, basically, for VFR manoeuvres. Uh, first couple of hours, you were limited uh, to fly within those four sectors to practice uh, climb, descent, uh, turns, uh, and stuff like that. And then I went off to visit a lot of other places in Italy, uh, islands, um, Naples, up to Milan, uh, up to Genoa, up to other places, well, close and cross country was, I actually did two um, because the first one failed. <laughs> the, the weather got really, really bad and I um, overlaid Trasimeno. Um, it was forecasted to rain was forecasted but i never thought it would just be so bad visibility wise and i could just see clouds closing in and i just went you know what goodbye everybody i'm going back that's what i did i just went back landed and so i had to repeat the last cross country um about 
about, I think, two weeks after that, um, and that's when something really interesting happened uh, to me as well. Um, on my, you know, I, w I flew up to Perugia, then flew to Siena, and then flew down to Rome again. Um, an entire day was an entire day of flying with different good weather conditions, um, very relaxed, very chilled, meeting other pilots in Siena, having lunch with the tower in Siena. And then as I was landing back, um, instead of uh, the tower, instead of, of telling me, could you, you know, well, why don't you just go normal circuit three, four, like we used to, like most of us all the time, it's, it's usually a little bit three, four, depending on the wind, but it's very common to do landing runway three, four. He said, why don't you um, land, are you able to land direct final one, six? And it's much easier if you think about it, because you're coming in from north. And so what you need to do is when you report northwest is to lose 2,000 feet and land straight ahead of you. Okay, so there's no circuits, there's no downwind, there's no bays, there's no turns. It's really easy, straight ahead, right? That's what at least I thought in my mind. And I said, okay. Now, in myself, I was thinking, Mikey, I've, I haven't done direct final for a little while, okay? But, you know, what's, what's to, to be scared of? That's the wrong way I can sit. It's just cleared me to land. You said you're clear to land because you're the only one. Okay, around. So all I need to do is to make sure I follow the landing, pre-landing checklist and make sure the mixture is full rich. Um, first, uh, flaps are on the DA20C1 Eclipse are configured, uh, landing lights, blah, blah, blah. I've got the clearance. I need to decrease the speed. I need to land, basically, there. That's all I thought. And everything was as it was supposed to be. Um, flaps were landing, the mixture was full rich, the speed was there, the landing lights were on, um, oil pressure was good, everything was there. And so off I go, I land and I bounce. But I bounce like crazy. I basically take off again. Um, and I thought, oh my God, okay, what do I do now? So I was thinking, I was always, oh, I was taught, um, if you have enough room to go around, you know, just just do it, okay? Yeah. Don't don't bounce and don't bring the com the column forward because that's the worst thing you can do. Because your instinct is to just stay on the ground, isn't it? Yeah. So to so pull the column forward, but that what that we know that what's that what that's going to do is to actually make you roll and roll and something that could happen. So I stayed. I, I held the column so hard that my knuckles, my fingers turned white. And I thought, <laughs> I'm staying here. I'm staying here. I'm not going anywhere. I don't know why. I didn't want to go around because I thought as well, what if I've broken or something has happened to the wheel or to the prop? Although I didn't hear anything. I said, I'm going to stay here. So I bounced again, bounced a few times and off I stop. And I... Tower said, okay, landed at, I can't remember what time. So I taxied to the refueling station and didn't hear any strange vibrations or any strange noises. Didn't have any noise-cancelling headphones. I only had a very old pair of David Clark, but I couldn't really hear or feel anything strange. So I was all happy, okay, oh, okay, a boat landing, that's fine. It's, it's happened before to a lot of people. So I go to the refueling station, and all I can see is my instructor running towards me as white as a ghost, thinking, telling me, are you okay? I went, 
yeah why it's a bulb landing okay it's fine i'm i'm here and then he he points at the prop and the prop was broken it wasn't broken but uh, it was i think a centimeter i i hit the ground with the prop basically and i didn't i didn't see it and i did the wheel was gone too but i didn't feel anything i didn't feel anything and mikey up to this day i don't know what happened i do not know what happened um the wind was calm um but then the wind was calm when i said i'm here at northwest at 2000 feet i think when it, i said i'm on final they said the wind is now uh, uh there was a bit of crosswind but nothing major so i did i looked at the i had the g500 so i looked at the g500 and then looked at the wind sock because i never trust I do trust the G500 but not too much. So I looked at the wind sock and I want to see what that is. Let me do a quick calculation with the wind triangle. It's fine. So I take my contour column to the towards the wind, pedal the opposite way. And I did everything I could to the best of my knowledge. And up at that point I had more than 50 hours. So you see that happened on my very last day before the exam. And I think what happened Mikey was um I was I had been going around for an entire day two different airfields with a lot of you know wind and variation and deviation of the wind so I had to recalculate everything with my you know pen and paper and calculator and when I got back to my airfield I thought I'm here now nothing can happen and that's when it happened Yeah, I think I think I I I said mentioned it before that I think you you do all these cross country and you're in a heightened state of 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 a concentration as to say and then you get back over your home airfield and you think oh, I've done I've done 20 odd hours here this is this is fine and you you kind of let your guard down slightly don't you and it's it's one of them where you mentioned you you're not going round and stuff and i i can't imagine you're you're the first and i won't can't imagine you won't be the, the last either um but there's that thing in your head that's like oh right i'm tired now i just want to get it on the ground um and i think that's the same thing with with being at your home airfield as well knowing that you kind of let your concentration get down slightly because it's all familiar to you instead and you kind of think oh well i don't need that heightened sense of alert anymore exactly although i should have probably I learned from this experience and I think it's a perfect example of of how you never the flight is not finished until you go home. Um that's why I say it doesn't matter even when you 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 think you're shutting the engine down um and your parking brake is on the flight is not over the flight finishes when you go home when you're out in the car um because there's so many things you need to to be to be alert um of fun i think it it did my my story is the perfect example of how your attention has to be 100% all the time even if you're if you're going to your home airfield you've been flying to and from for years it doesn't matter you know it well and in hindsight i should have said to the tower i'm not confident enough to land on runway 16 um because i haven't done it in a long time and the the river runs alongside the threshold of the runway um so there are some you know some things that happen there i should have just said i'm going to go runway 34 and i didn't because like you rightly said 
I'm here. I'm tired. I just want to go home. I want to land because this has been a great day. So it's easier, isn't it? It's straight in front of me. It wasn't. So attention, 100% all the time. Never think if it's a familiar place and it's not going to happen. That's, that's what I think. Pilots, what everyone should really be thinking of if I may, you know, share my, from my very uh, personal experience. It, it, it's interesting you say that. I, li- I liked what you said about the flight's not over till um to your to your you're in the car and on the way home. And I noticed that I listened to a podcast um about a Royal Air Force instructor on the two canos at the time who had an engine failure with a student. And rather than ejecting the aircraft, he thought I can I can save this aircraft. And um he found a, a gliding club and thought oh well, we can put down on there. And he was saying that the emergency wasn't really over he said when he touched the wheels on the ground he thought oh that's it now but then he said that he had all these gliders and people and everything all around that he now he was still traveling at a fair rate of knots and he said he's now dealt with the main part of the emergency but now he's got to stop the aircraft and avoid taking out a load of gliders and a load of people and it's quite an interesting listen to to hear about uh, human factors and stuff like that of oh, I'm on the ground, the problem's over, when he said it really, really wasn't. He said, if anything, it was only three quarters over, and now he was trying to get round obstacles and stuff like that that he didn't foresee, but um, in the end, he ended up, he, he saved the aircraft, it went off the end of the runway uh, of the glider club, and um, he, he ended up still saving the aircraft, though, which was which was fantastic, but like you said, he, he talks about human factors and stuff, which you've mentioned yourself. The human factors, I think everyone, no matter what you do, uh, be it aviation, be it working in Sainsbury's or Waitrose or anywhere like that, I think everyone should do human factor training, basically, because we're all humans. Absolutely, absolutely. We're humans even um, in everything we do, especially when we fly, whether it's cabin crew or pilots or anything, anybody does, human factors. We're not robots. We're always going to bring our personality or a concentration or um, our skills or attention span with us everywhere. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. And to share these experiences as well, personal experiences, which, to be honest, in the life of a pilot, to say some people might be a bit, you know, dubious or might not want to share this experience because, you know, it's you've broken an aircraft, basically. And you wouldn't want to say, oh, you know, I broke an aircraft on my last flight. But I always tell this to everybody, this, this experience to everyone I meet, because it just tells you, and like the one you shared uh, as well about the um, this pilot you were talking about. It's just it just tells you how important it is to say I'm here. I'm here from the beginning to the end. Not when I put my wheels on the ground or with my aircraft. It's not over. It will when I take the keys out and I go out in the car and I go home. That's when the flight is over. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I see that. I see that point as well because flight just doesn't. You could be in the downwind, but in your head you could have landed, parked up, and are having a cup of tea in the in the in the clubhouse. But unfortunately, just because you've landed in your head doesn't mean the flight has finished. You're still at a thousand exactly. feet in that downwind, ready, still having to configure the aircraft and, and land it again. So I do really, really like what what you're saying there. And there, there was a culture, and I know from from my own training and, and stuff like that, where you said people don't like admitting their faults and. I'm I'm a big fan for putting the hand up and saying, yeah, I messed up here because people are going to learn from it and I'm going to learn from it. Um, I've had I've had tail strikes in the past. I've had a, a wheel blowout. I've had engine problems. And 
the tail strike and the wheel problems and stuff, they they were probably compounded because of something I did. And I've no problem putting my hand up and being like, yeah, bit of a hard landing. Everything wasn't looking good. Should have gone round. I didn't. My fault. My bad. And you put your hand up. And I think everyone learns about that. And I think in, in the industry, in the airline industry that, that we work in, there's, there's a big thing about about that of, of reporting these things so everyone can learn from it and someone else doesn't make the same mistake. Absolutely. I the when it happened to me in my flight school, everyone was very supportive because I was very heartbroken. I was in tears. I felt guilty and I felt, oh my God, what have I done? But the culture in that in, in the school has always been one of supporting each other and learning from each other's. Um, I wouldn't even call it mistakes from each other's experiences because that's how we become pilots. Um, it's always, I think, it's teamwork, it's learning from others as well. Um, so they were really supportive. They had to, of course, Margie, to carry out, um, I wouldn't even call it an investigation, but they had to interview me and um, they asked me what happened, how did you react to it? Because, of course, they wanted to learn as well from what I did. And I said, yes, we need to see, I need to find out as well. You need to help me understand whether I've done something wrong. Um, so, yeah, I've always been, I think they, the culture was always one of supporting um, students or instructors for if there had been, you know, if there was any mistakes or problems. Um, and I think hon being honest is, is the best thing as well because uh, we're pilots, we're not superheroes, are we? We're bound to um, make mistakes or be unsure about things. So we need to be able to fly in an environment where we are happy and confident and calm and relaxed when asking questions and when asking when asking for guidance absolutely it's the most important thing um i wouldn't want to be as cabin crew i wouldn't want to be in an environment where people are scared or even terrified of approaching me because i'm not i'm a cabin manager but i'm not a superhero like you rightly said we're only humans and we're humans with a heart so that that's exactly it and people think you know are oh, superhumans or something like take it when when i first started with the with the airline industry and i, I was looking at, at csms and stuff and thinking oh wow they're they're superhuman i used to be terrified and everything and then i never came on myself and i was like actually we're, we're not superhuman we're just we're just like everybody else but the only problem is is that if you do something wrong a lot of people wouldn't tell you and i'd like someone to tell me when i'm doing something wrong so so i can fix it and and that's the thing like you do one flight a year with your manager and he'll be telling you what you've done wrong but at that point you could have had 365 days of embedding a bad habit in without realizing it and nobody has corrected you to tell you no you're doing this wrong that needs to that needs to change exactly and that's i i think it's it's of vital importance to be able to work in an environment where feedback is given, constructive feedback is given in a respectful, timely manner so that I can learn because it's all about learning. Learning never stops, Mikey. And, you know, we know that as pilots and as cabin crew, learning never, ever stops. One is never finished with learning because I bet you that when I come and see you and renew my SCP, I'm going to be learning again. I'm going to be learning when I go back flying on my 777 Life is a learning experience as it is, even more so for us. And learning is even better when it happens in an environment when you know you can rely on people and you can speak up and be able to ask questions and be happy to be provided constructive feedback as well. It's, it's of vital importance. 
A hundred percent it is. I, de- I definitely agree with you on that one. And it, it, it's like you said, we, we, we know it from the industries that we're in. We, we, we know it and we're always learning. And that's, that's what I love about aviation is you can't complete aviation. You can do a hell of a lot of stuff in aviation, but you cannot complete it. And I find that every time I go into work, I learn something. Every time I go and take my C-42 for a spin, I learn something. And that's one thing I love about it is that every day is a school day and you're constantly topping up your knowledge bucket. Whether you know it or not, that knowledge bucket is slowly slowly and surely but, but filling and then becoming a tank and just going on and on and on. And yeah, you, you, can't, you can't 100% fill that bucket. Absolutely. Let's let's go to your your what what you do for a living now as as a cabin manager. How when when did you join the airlines? I joined the airline, the very first airline. So the low cost I was telling you about at the beginning was more than thirteen years ago, fourteen years ago. And then I joined the airline I'm currently with in two thousand and sixteen. Brilliant. So that was that was uh, five years ago now, and the break I had between one airline and another was because of pilot training, and then I rejoined the school as an instructor, and then I said, you know what, I was I need to fly again on the big airliners. I needed to. The triple seven has always been my love, and I said, you know, this is the perfect opportunity of actually going on the triple seven, not the way I wanted it to be as a pilot, but it's just as good. Um, and I love I love the triple seven. That's my that's my baby as I call it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So you you joined two thousand sixteen, same same year as me. And um yes. I take it you did the six weeks training. Can you can you give us a, a rundown of what that six weeks in, involved? Yes, absolutely. It was it began with the SCP part, so the mandatory um procedures, uh, door drills and that was over two weeks at Heathrow and um and then the the it was four weeks of I've met and customer service training and SCP the first two weeks it was very very intense it was a very um, very very intense and stressful experience I will never forget it um, but it was very good because um, I had a fantastic group of people around me and we all, like I said before supporting each other helping each other asking each other questions doing the practice exams together and within those two weeks we also did all the evacuation drills um, all the ditching drills and the swimming pool the swimming part as I call it was I think ha- didn't happen until week four uh and yeah that was it it was a very it was the first two weeks felt like it was really long you know i thought oh my god this is never ending and then the the four weeks just went really really quickly and next thing i know was i was on a 320 on my first flight to malaga brilliant and i i I know exactly what you mean about being really tiring because i remember if i wasn't in bed uh, I think it was during all the Airbus conversion stuff. Um, when I wasn't in bed by nine o'clock at night, there wasn't enough night time to sleep in. Um, and I, it, it, I just found it, it was so tiring. You were, it was early morning and it was run, 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 run. And I remember finishing the training and having a few days off and thinking, I've, I've got not, nothing to do now. <laughs> what, what do I do with myself? <laughs> um, I know. I know. Didn't you find it? During the first two weeks, Mike, there was no time to do anything apart from sleep, not many hours a night at all, and do the practice exams. I will never forget it. It was all about doing exams, studying, revising, 
And I will never forget, I must have drunk enormous, a a, a huge amount of Red Bull. (laughs) I know exactly where you're coming from. I only laugh because I did the exact same thing to get me through it. And I never forget it. I love coffee. And I never drank coffee up until that initial training point where I was sat in a aviation medicine um, kind of lecture and I remember nodding off once or twice and thinking I really need something to keep me awake here and at the time the, the canteen didn't didn't do Red Bull or anything like that so I had, to, I had to get a coffee and that was the first time I felt the actual effects of coffee was when I drank this and thought oh oh I, I feel very awake now and thankfully that was the only time that ever happened but I remember thinking to myself geez this is this is mad. I ended up drinking liters and liters of coffee to get me through these these six weeks and and, and out on onto the air, uh, onto line as as they say. Yeah, it was it was it was a great experience, but it was stressful, especially the first two weeks because that was the CP. That was the most. Uh, it's not the most important stuff, but what, that was the ABC of opening and closing the door, evacuation procedures, uh, conversion on the aircraft. So that was the you know that was for me the, the fundamentals of flying, and then of course customer service skills just as important. But yeah, going through those two weeks, when I finished them three weeks, I was like, oh, I can relax now. And then, of course, it all starts with customer service skills, the uniform, the hair. Um, yeah, well, it was good. I'm, I'm glad it's over now. I'm glad it's done. I don't think I would do it again. I'm not sure because I remember it being really stressful. And I remember even during my swimming, um, our swimming drill, uh, when you had to get onto that life raft, Mikey. Now, you know, I'm six foot one almost, right? (laughs) And I'm a big boy, I'm a big girl, right? Okay, and I got on last because everyone had got on already. And I remember the instructor sitting, no, not the instructor, one of my colleagues, and we were doing the, um, the drill with, there was a lot of people because there was Airbus pilots doing it. And there was other it was some other cabin crew training groups doing it. So I remember this girl um, holding me, like offering me help to get on. And I went, no, you can't. I need to do it. I know you did. So I got on, but I just, I didn't get on in a very, how can I say, ladylike way because I just got on and then I jumped and threw myself onto the raft. So I, all I could see was on the other side of the raft, these Airbus pilots just jumping because I landed like, <laughs> you know, I'm not very... You know, I'm a big, I'm a big, big, you know, I'm six foot one. So I was like, okay, that's it, done. I'm done with this, man. I'm done. Oh, God, that was, that was a funny memory. That was funny. Stressful at the same time, a little bit. But now it's, now it's about being in charge of a triple seven. And again, like, you know, when you look at your logbook and you look at your first flight and then you look at your solo flight and then you look at your final check ride and then you look at your red tie yeah, you're, you know, you're, you're a cabin manager tie. You think, I've done this. Then if I can do it, everyone else can. As long as you set your mind to it and it's in your heart, you can do it. That's, you just need to believe in yourself. I, I love that. And m- myself and my siblings, and I, we've all been brought up with my dad saying that to us. And he said, the, the mind is a very powerful thing and you can set it to anything you want to do and just keep believing it and, and you will make it eventually. Um, so... What made you, or how long was it until you decided you wanted to go for promotion? It was about a year and a half, so not a very long time, because 
I was a cabin manager for my Bermuda airline too. So when they offered us the possibility of um, being promoted, I, I did that. But I wasn't successful the first time round. Uh, when I did the interview to join the training group, um, so I then waited for a few more months and retried again, and I was successful on the second attempt. And I thought, you know what, I, I like a challenge, and I think I'm really happy here, and I really see this as my, you know, my career forever. So I thought I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this opportunity to get onto this training course, which gave me all the tools and all the knowledge that I needed to be able to manage crew and passengers and um, on board and then crew down route and everything else. So I did it and, and it's great to this day. It's really great. I still enjoy it like day one. Brilliant. I, I can tell that. I can hear the passion from, from your voice now and I think you're, you're just happy just being in the air no matter what you're doing. Um, and I think a lot of us are like that. I'm seeing a big trend with with the likes of crew and pilots and stuff like that, where anyone working in the airline industry is, is, is they've all got a passion for just just been in the air and been on the ground too long just isn't an option. And I think it's it's absolutely brilliant to see and you, you hear people chatting about it like yourself and it just oozes out of you. Thank you, thank you so much. It, it's in it's in my blood. It's in our blood. Is what keeps me it's what keeps me alive and happy really is because it's in my it's my life basically i don't know how i can describe it it's everything i do is even right now i'm looking at my triple seven or nippon airways um, model on my bedside table um and it's it's just everywhere i go even on my birthday last year was it last year or the year before i said where do i want to go i want to go to heathrow to Myrtle avenue because it was a lovely day, take a couple of sandwiches, um, take some crisps, a flask of hot tea, and that's what I did. Brilliant. It's in my blood. It, it, it's really, really cool to see um, just, just a passion with yourself and everything of, of with it. And like you said, I'd, I'd probably do the same. I've never been up to Myrtle Avenue. For those listening who don't know what Myrtle Avenue is, it's a housing estate which is right at the end of Gatwick's runway and you can have the most amazing experiences with A380s and stuff coming over the top, which is, is fantastic. Right. It's it's right. there, there. You can reach out and touch them nearly. They're that close to you as they come over. Yes, yes, you feel the, you feel the noise of the 777. You feel the vibration on your skin. It's it's crazy. It's so good. It really is. I can hear you really giggling just at the thought of it now. Like, I'm like a big. I'm still like a big kid. I'm thirty. I'll be thirty-seven in a in a month, and I'm still like a big kid on day one. And I will never. I I am so grateful that I got to do that PA twenty-eight lesson because that's what that's how it started. That's what gave me the courage to say I'll give it a go. And I will do it, and I did it. And then I didn't. I didn't quite expect it to become my everything, but it did because that's what aviation does to you. It just becomes. It just becomes your your blood and your energy. And you know, even if a few you know things uh, have, have happened to me when I lost my medical, my first class, and that I'm not necessarily happy. Uh, happy events. I still. I'm still in it, and I'm still. I still love it like day one, and I always will, Mikey. Always will. Yeah, I, 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 can, I can see that, Jules. I really can, just just coming off of, of just oozing from you at, at the moment. Um, and have, have what, what's been your, say, favourite moment in even in your, your work? Have you had a favourite flight that you've had or any challenging moments or anything like that? Um, challenging moments, there have been a few, um, but they've all been, like, really, really 
um, very what challenging but learning experiences at the same time. I've always been very lucky of being able to manage fantastic people, and I've always had lovely customers. I've never had any major, um, you know, challenges um, per se, but I think the highlight of my career, so the happiest moment was when I flew my, um, I call him the love of my life, but it's not. <laughs> Is, well, he doesn't know he is. Well, he is for me, but he's married to somebody else, not to me. A, a DJ that I grew up with. And I um, I had, when I was at high school, his face everywhere on my bedroom walls. All the pictures and posters and stuff. You know, when you literally idolise somebody, Mikey, that's, that, that was me. Still me for him. Brilliant. I went, to see his, I went to see him live with his band when I was... 14 so we're talking about last year I was 36 and I realized it was on my flight with his family flying to America and I I discovered that that I discovered it the day before I was supposed to operate the flight so um I, when I started the briefing with my colleagues I went I don't know what to do I don't know what to say you know when you're proper starstruck yeah in into a way into an extent that you're like i can't do i can't do i can't be doing this possibly i've flown I, i've done my so I've, I've flown on my part i can do so i can't do, i can't be dealing with this i was so excited but nervous but of course mikey you can't just say i'm leaving you know yeah. so i had to do i had to deal with it and i had to you know meet this person and you know what i i kind of Turned the service around a little bit. I mean, I, I, you know, I went on the other side of the aircraft, not the one I was supposed to be in. Um, so um, I then met him and I spoke to him and he signed the autograph. And I then, uh, but I didn't ask him that. He, my friend asked me, well, my colleague asked him, could you do it for her? Because I wasn't brave enough to do it. And then he came up to the galley and he said, are you Jules? And I went, I looked around me and there was nobody, Mikey, around me. And I went, there's only two ovens here. There's a toilet. There's a flight deck door. Please help me, somebody. So I went, um, yes, it's me. I'm the cabin manager. And I went, I can't believe this is happening. And, you know, I had to deal with it. And I met him and I spoke to him. And he was the loveliest person ever. He was such a down-to-earth Lovely man, very, very nice, very, took pictures, answered all my questions, and I told him about how many times I've been to see them live, and you, I wasn't, you know, I think my fear was partly because I was so excited, like a little kid, like the big kid I am, but I also thought to myself, what if it, what if he is a not very nice person, you know, when you idolise somebody, and you think, oh my God, what if it's not nice? It was. It was the loveliest person ever. And it was the highlight of my career to just serve him because, of course, then I had to I had to engage with him in conversation. And I couldn't just avoid, you know, because I said to him, sorry, I couldn't serve you because I was too starstruck. And he, he started laughing. You know, that was, that was when I got to the destination, Mikey, I said, this is me done. My career is now complete. That's fantastic, Jules. That's just so, so good. So good. It was great. It was great. And then I've had, um, you know, different um, people that have flown. And I guess I've had, you know, some some challenging, like I said before, moments. But nothing that I, that was too hard to solve because 
my team, I've always been blessed with wonderful people around me and wonderful, wonderful cabin crew and pilots. And it's always been a matter of working with them to make sure that the best come was reached. And it always is a touch, touch wood, fingers crossed. That's what's happened so far. I've been a cabin manager now. Let me think. Uh, two, two and a half years. So cabin manager previously with the other airline. So I've been very, been very lucky. I've been very lucky. Brilliant, and and especially like with with this day day and age going on with all the the COVID nineteen stuff, and all the airlines are are doing massive and major restructures and cuts and stuff like that. And it's so nice to hear someone who still speaks with a passion for for what they do in in the airline industry, especially with the challenging times that are ongoing at the moment and everything that's that's being chucked at us. And it's it's quite a stressful time for anybody in aviation, but. Talking to you, Jules, is is you you still have that same passion and same drive that anyone would have, say, four or five years ago when everything was at a tight. Even last year, when it was at a tight. Yes, absolutely. It's it's aviation is a very well nowadays with COVID the impact that the, this pandemic has had. That a lot of things have changed, and a lot of you know I've, I've had family friends losing their jobs and. Uh, my, you know, it's been very tough. I can't, I can't lie to you and say it hasn't been tough and difficult. But it's, it's simply flying is my everything. It, it all, it's this. It, this is how I feel, and this is what I say to people. Flying, if it's your everything, you can't. You must not give up. You must stay there and work hard and and be positive that everything will come back to normal eventually because he will have to Mikey from uh, a point of view for tourism and business it will come back to normal it won't be it will be a bit it won't be a very quick um return to normal I think very sadly but it will happen and if flying is everything if it runs in your blood then stay there don't go anywhere don't leave it don't leave it I, I like that, Jules. I, re- I really, really do. And like you said, it's a very hard thing. And I, I am quite, quite. I, I, I'm not sure how quick it's going to bounce back. Because you talk to a lot of people, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, we want to fly." And I, I personally, I, it could be an unpopular opinion, but personally, I think that if if everything goes to plan this time next year, we we could be semi back to normal, not too far off it, and and we'll all be laughing about this and telling our kids and grandkids and years to come about the 2020 of how the airline industry was plunged into lockdown you know and it, it's bits nothing has happened like this before and it, it it's mad that's the only way i can describe it, it is. is it's mad it is it has been it's been it's just been some really couple of like really strange mums and if i think back on about on april or march or my last flight when i last met you as well i'm like when was that? I've lost track of time, but it will come back, and it will. I don't know how. We don't know how quick it's going to be. Simply because, like, say, good news yesterday, Portugal has stopped the um, quarantine on for travellers coming back into the UK. But then cases are up. We don't really know. I think the key now is to leave each day as it comes, baby steps every day, and try to be positive, and be faithful, and believe, and in the fact that it's going to come back. It will be back. It might not be the same as before. Uh, things will have changed for us, and but it, it's there because it has to be there because it's in. It's our blood, it's our life. 
was very, very, you know, very probably positive, romantic way. Well, you see, I, I did philosophy at uni, so I'm always going to talk with these words, you know, <laughs> and, and describe it in a very romantic way. But that's what flying is for us. Exactly. Yes, I think it, it, I've seen I've seen a, a thing going around on, on Facebook before, and it was ask any pilot how they get into aviation, and I'll tell you a love story. And I think it's it's very very true. Of you, you could ask any of us, and, and like yourself, there it, we we've heard we've heard basically a a romantic novel from yourself, Jules, of of how everything is is going on and everything that that you've done and through it, and that passion is there, that love is there. And it, yeah. it really is fantastic to see. And like I said, I see a trend with people in aviation where, where that is there. It's almost as if it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's very hard to describe. It's, it's, a, it's a feeling that you can't tell to non-aviation people, if that makes sense. It does. And it, like you rightly said as well, you used the perfect words. It's a love story. And it's a love story that for me has been going on for about 14, 15 years now. And for you, and it's going to go on forever because we're never going to, we're never going to split up from, from flying that way. <laughs> There's no like drama. It's theory. There is. I've had problems, Mikey. I've had, I've lost the medical, but I've never given up because it's always given me so much happiness and so much joy. That's why I'm, you know, that's why I'm going to be with her forever. That, I, I love it, and I love that outlook. And what what are your plans for the future, then? I think, well, you know, I've been, since I started, when I joined, you know, the new airline and became a cabin manager, I've kind of, I haven't flown nowhere as much as I would have liked to, for financial reasons as well, but because I was busy, and, and then I started the second degree as well, because I'm doing forensic psychology at uni, should be graduating next year, hopefully, so I've been busy with that, so my first step will be to renew my SCP, and possibly multi-engine piston ratings, but I'm not sure. Um, about it's definitely the single engine piston um, do some flying and just keep that license active and probably if I can get onto some aerobatics course um, you know uh, just just go back to what it used to be years and years ago um, because I, it's a shame to just see that license um, with that date on it and uh, you know I've I worked so hard for it so I really need to just just go back and fly as I used to before basically that's the plan brilliant I really really like it Jules and thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us this morning and it's been an absolute pleasure and it, it's really shown the love and passion that, that aviators have thank you so much for inviting me and let me tell you Mikey that what you're doing is absolutely unique and it's a fantastic fantastic thing that helps to spread the love for aviation and flying and I wish you know I just think what you're doing is so, so amazing. And thank you from all of us for doing it because uh, thank you for allowing me, but thank you for spreading the love literally because it's the most beautiful thing that one could do. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jules. We'll talk to you again. Thank you. Bye, Mikey.